0: We've seen footage of Ben Roethlisberger throwing a football, but now we've heard directly from Ben why there are no reasons for concern about his ability to do so in competition. Good morning to you. Good Wednesday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports and this, the newly reborn DK Sports Radio Podcasting Network. I have to confess, in listening to Ben on his Zoom call with those of us on the beat yesterday, there was something special about the tone of his voice. And watching it on the video component of it, that was doubly true. He couldn't stop smiling. Now... I've been cynical in the past about Ben and some aspects of his personality. He He's not an easy read, uh, to put it mildly. Just when you think you've gotten to know him a little bit, you find out that you really don't. And conversely, just when you think that he's super standoffish or aloof or whatever it is, you experience something that makes you think that he isn't. This was different. He got onto this call, and after being asked his very first question, just kind of stumbled a little bit and said, sorry, I'm nervous, I haven't done this in a while with you guys, which he hadn't, of course. He hadn't spoken since the procedure that he had last year. Actually, for that matter, since the injury occurred in that game against Seattle in Week 2, but then there came the biggest news of the event. The injury didn't occur in that game. Yeah, there had been some talk to this end. There had been some speculation. But this was different. This was hearing it directly from Ben. This was his response when asked about how the injury happened and what exactly it was. Um, You know, specifically going back, I've had a little bit of an injury in that elbow for for quite a few years, but just something I've kind of dealt with. Um, never serious enough to do anything with, but, um, uh, you know, specifically on that, the, the, the drive in, in Seattle,
1: um,
0: you know, just kind of that, that pain wasn't really going away. And I threw one deep one to juju down the right side. And I just really felt, um, a, a different pain and different just discomfort than I've ever felt. And it was kind of shooting down my arm. And so, um, I knew something was different uh, at that moment. You hear that? You hear what I'm talking about there? That is the sound and in turn the feel of an athlete who has gotten back that thing that he or she most values as an athlete. That's different body parts. It's different traits for different sports. But for Ben, it's throwing a football. He sounds and looks borderline giddy because he knew he'd been playing through this for a long time. And like a lot of us, as we get a little older, we start feeling things that we'd never felt before, and we just kind of presume that they're normal. This is just how it is. This thing, oh yeah, I've always had it. So he's playing last year starting out. And remember that Seahawks game was week 2. Thinking, yeah, I mean this is just the way it's going to be. And he's trying to tough it out and he takes a deep snap and he really tries to heave one to Juju and uh-oh, there it went. And as you heard him say, this one was different. Here's how it was different. And warning, this is this isn't the most pleasant visual. He had three tendons torn off the bone. The tendons themselves weren't torn. That's more common, actually. That's what leads to pitchers getting Tommy John surgery, which he made very clear this was not. The tendons themselves just came off the bone. He said that this is something that's way more common in regular people than it is in quarterbacks. In fact... His doctors and their researchers could only find one other example, they didn't name him, of course, of a quarterback of any prominence that this had happened to. It's seen as very, very, very rare. So the way they address this is they take the tendons and they find a way to anchor them anew into the bone. I know this all sounds really, again, (laughs) I get it. But, you know, it's important to hear this so that every time he drops back, you don't think, oh, there it's going it's to go again. It's not. It's not. It's not. The ligaments themselves, other than the tear-off, were deemed as fine, meaning they didn't require any kind of surgery. There were no other issues, at least not that we know of. So what you have here is a quarterback who had a problem for a very long time and still was able to play at a a 5,000-yard-a-season level for a long time, or for whoever. I mean, he didn't get into exactly how long he'd been feeling it, because I'm sure there isn't some real specific timetable. It felt like wear and tear. People can have this injury and just go right on functioning not NFL quarterbacks but regular old people like you and me he had his fixed as if it's new and now he has a chance to retake the football field and fire away and fire away i am this training camp as unusual and I'm sure uncomfortable as it's going to be for a lot of people, could be exactly what he needs. He doesn't need preseason games to figure out whether or not he can make a hot read, whether or not he can uh, nail Deontay Johnson over a slant or throw one up to, Deon- uh, to James Washington. He-, he doesn't need to learn how to play football again. I mean, I'm sure there's going to be signs of rust, and that'll be probably the number one topic once we get to September 14 in East Rutherford. But what he really needs to do is just let it rip. And now he's on, to borrow another baseball term, on a pitch count, so to speak. Mike Tomlin and Matt Canada and the staff aren't letting him just... Throw a zillion passes. There's there's a rain on him. But when he's flinging, by all accounts, there are no restrictions. There's no just throw it 30% or, you know, be careful with it. He's, he's just throwing the football. And if you're looking for a medical diagnosis beyond that, you really don't have to. You just look at the smile and listen to the comfort level with which he's speaking, he brought up on his own when our Dale Lawley asked about whether he'd had any doubts about his future in the time that he was out, a significant time he was out, nearly a year. A good, fair question. And Ben gave it real thought and an honest answer. He said, I mean, if, if there'd been such a moment, it was only a moment. But that he's back to compete for Lombardies, And then he emphasized that's Lombardies with a plural, meaning he wants to be around. That's the sign of someone who knows they're right. And now I'm going to add to all of this that these aches and pains that the elite athletes will develop into their late 30s. These more chronic conditions that never really get a chance to go all the way away. He's spoken openly of that not being the case for him, that the, these extra few months, this time that he had where he could you know, not get chased down, by evil edge rushers, has done him a world of good. Other parts of his body that were nagging, that were feeling things, and then in that period between January and when you head back into OTAs, a five-month gap, four-month gap at times was never going to be enough to heal all that. According to him, that stuff is fine. Now, is he still 38 years old? Yes, I'm not being Pollyanna here about this. But the idea that the Steelers are sending out some decrepit version of Ben, I think is due to a lot of us remembering the later stages of Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning had extremely different issues in real. He had neck surgery that was really complex and affected his shoulder and really knocked out, not some of the zip, all of the zip from his passes. You remember, unfortunately, that he still beat the Steelers in Denver in that playoff game, but it was sad to watch in a way. I mean, he's, he's just throwing these lollipops up there, and he he saw where he wanted to put the ball, and he's so smart that he could still find a way to get it done. That's not what we're talking about here. Ben is not going to be that quarterback. He also described himself as being 13 or 14 pounds lighter than he's been. I'm not a hundred percent sure how to feel about that, but I'm guessing that he'll feel a little bit more mobile. He'll feel a little bit more reckless is that the right word I don't know because when we think of um, hashtag Ben being Ben you know we still think of him being able to roll out and buy that extra second and hope that one of his receivers will come back his way and break something or just break off a route and he'll find you completely wide open you know which plays I'm talking about to this day, when teams talk about defending Ben Roethlisberger on their Wednesday calls, before a game, invariably they still, players and coaches alike, talk about his ability to extend the play. Not just, you know, the the early version of Ben, but they're talking about just his ability to buy himself a little bit of time and trust that his receivers will find that space. If Ben's feeling that confidence in his overall health and in his overall body, we could be in for something special. It's more possible this season than it could have been last season when this wasn't really an issue. That's what I want you to think about out of this more than anything. That's what I think the great takeaway is from this. He's still got... A really good offensive line in front of him. He's still playing in a system that's extremely comfortable for him, if not partially scripted by him. It's a great situation. And you know the other thing? He doesn't really have to be the star. I mean, he does. He's Ben. You know what I'm saying. The star of these Pittsburgh Steelers going to be the defense the offense as we saw last year only has to be remotely decent for this team to win football games never mind if ben is a better ben when we come back i've got three more fun football thoughts This is my uh, iced coffee that I have while doing this show. I would tell you that it's what makes the show go, except that it's what makes pretty much everything in my hectic life go. This wonderful drink. This segment of Daily Shot is always brought to you by our friends at the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank. During normal times, one in seven people in our region are food insecure, including One in five children. Not knowing where your next meal is coming from can be a scary thought. And now during the pandemic, it's that much scarier. If you are in need of food assistance, or if you just like to support the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank, visit pittsburghfoodbank.org. Spell those three words out when you type them. pittsburghfoodbank.org. One dollar. Just one dollar can provide enough food. For up to five meals. We've had a lot of good talks with people at the Steelers in the past week or so since this training camp has somewhat begun. It doesn't open officially to reporters until they're doing padded practices, and that's going to be August 17. But in the interim, uh, the Steelers have been great at making sure that. We can communicate with people. Uh, Everyone from Mike Tomlin down has been uh, great and receptive and cooperative. Oddly empathetic to the fact that we can't be there just yet per NFL guidelines. Once we are, it's going to be all happy land and everything. In the interim, we've talked to some interesting people. And because we haven't heard from them in a while, we haven't laid eyes on them in an even longer while... I find myself listening for little clues. I'm listening for hints of things that maybe we might not have picked up on before. And I'm going to share with you three of those in this segment that I think might help us predict some surprises to come this season. One of them came from Matt Canada, he's the new quarterback's coach and, of course, the old Pitt offensive coordinator who led the Panthers to scoring about a zillion points against every opponent they faced the one season, you'll recall, ended up being lured away and was the coach at Maryland before coming to the Steelers. His arrival, I think, is going to end up being a bigger deal than what's realized right now because I think he can help Randy Feitner in an area where, man, not one of us will dispute Feitner could use it, and that, of course, is play design, play diagramming, and play structure. And this was not Feitner's higher calling in life. But rather than changing offensive coordinators, with the Steelers, they blur roles. They blur titles. It's something, actually, they're very proud of. Kevin Colbert has talked about it in the past. They just do whatever it is that they have to do to help the team win a game. So if it ends up that Matt Canada comes in and has all kinds of ideas for the offense, and I have no no doubt that he does, he's actually going to be way more influential in the offense than, than what's going to show up in their media guide bios. Matt Canada spoke powerfully and plainly about the impact that Anthony McFarland, the fourth-round running back also out of Maryland, can have. And they're both out of that program. So Matt Canada is intimately familiar, more than anyone else with the Steelers, about what McFarland can bring. He plans to make McFarland part of the offense, or at least push for it, or whatever the dynamic ends up being in the coaches' rooms. And that's significant. Uh, You know I wanted that. Uh, McFarland is my number one guy as far as out of this rookie class, despite the pandemic limiting the workouts and limiting the the visible impact that these rookies, the entire rookie class, all the way up to Chase Claypool, can have on the coaching staff because they can't go and show themselves in preseason games. The, other than Ben's throwing, the one thing I most wanted to see in the originally scheduled five preseason games was how Anthony McFarland would show because you can see running backs and the impact that they have more than any other position in the preseason. There's a ton of carries. There's a ton of runs against a ton of different types of of defenses and different pedigrees of defense as the game goes on. You get to see real impact. We're not going to get to see any preseason ball now. Zero. And yet, Matt Canada went out of his way to suggest that McFarland is going to be part of the offense. And he didn't say it as if he were speaking of 2021 or 2022, or for that matter, later into the season. He made it sound as if McFarland's going to be part of the offense. So file that one away. I, I liked hearing that a lot. Here's another one. Ike Hilliard, the new wide receivers coach, of course, a former receiver himself in the NFL. Ike Hilliard brought up Claypool. Said you're going to see Claypool play a lot. I'm not sure how. Featner and or Tomlin or anybody else in the organization would have felt about Hilliard saying that, but he did, but he did. There was a suggestion even from Hilliard that there was a wide receiver rotation that he had discussed with Ben Roethlisberger. And in doing so, the implication there is that he's talking about moving different guys in and out. Well, think about the Steelers' wide receiver depth and ask yourself who'd be part of some in-and-out rotation. I mean, the list isn't that long. You know, when you're talking about Deontay Johnson, James Washington, Juju Smith-Schuster, you're absolutely talking about your top three. But when you're talking about a rotation and you look at the rest of the group— Claypool can't possibly be much lower than fourth or fifth, right? I mean, Ryan Switzer's going to be in there. Just just cringe and, and go along with it because he's Ben's guy. Ben trusts him. Ben wants somebody that he can have running those routes that he's that's reliable, even though the guy hasn't gotten a yard after the catch in his career. Whatever. That's not the point here. The point is that if you're talking about a rotation of receivers, and you have Ike Hilliard saying that Claypool can go out there and do things that other guys can't, they might see something already that is special in this kid. Remember, with his NFL scouting combine performance in Indianapolis, people were casually citing these Megatron comparisons. No, he's not going to come here and be Calvin Johnson, but he's he's got... A similar uh, build to him, along with extraordinary athleticism. And they would rather apparently have that on the field than to just have him play special teams, as I'd been fearing. And actually, as Tomlin and Colbert have both been strongly suggesting, that their top two picks, it sounded all along, meaning... Claypool, and Alex Highsmith would have the best chance to get on the field by both being excellent special teams players as they both were in college. This is a different discussion. This is the wide receivers coach suggesting he can get out there. That's exciting. That's neat. I got one more for you. This one's right from Tomlin himself. Um, In a A barrage of lots and lots of questions. For Tomlin, one of them that came up was two tight end sets. And that, of course, would mean Eric Ebron and Vance McDonald being on the field at the same time. Now, why Tomlin strayed five billion miles out of character and acknowledged this as a possibility, I have no idea. But he did. But he did. He said that that's something that they're going to try. That's something that they'll consider. That means, you have to understand, from a head football coach, especially one as tight-lipped as Tomlin, when he's saying that, he's not thinking, hey, the reporter just came up with a great idea. I'm going to take this back to the crew. And see. <laughs> what he's really saying is that they've already got these plays. they already thought of it. Not only do they already think of it, they've already diagrammed them. They're already in the book. They're already probably in the opening script of the opening series against the Giants. That is also exciting. Picture the Steelers taking the field with what looks like, visually anyway, a goal line set to open a drive. You have one wide out, a couple of tight ends, Big, big set. You know, heck, you can have Derek Watt out there, the new fullback. The other team's not going to have any idea what you're going to do because you can just drop back and hit Ebron or McDonald for a pretty significant gain because both of them are capable of getting meaningfully open off of any formation that you set them up in. They're both athletes. McDonald is seen by his teammates. I, I've heard them call him a freak. They see him as an athletic freak. I know he, he gets hurt a lot and whatever, and go ahead and take your shots there. But there's a lot of that that's related to Ebron as well, especially when you get down into the red zone. The Steelers were not at all a good red zone team last year, and yes, of course, a lot of that had to do with the quarterbacking. But it doesn't mean you ignore the problem overall and just say, well, Ben's going to come back and snap his finger and everything's going to be fine. A two tight end set where you can go out there and out big the other team, force them to put players onto the field that they might not want to put out there. Meaning not just go with six DBs or whatever it is. That's exciting. Those are mismatches. And then you're the team that changes up and brings out all your fast guys on the next set. Maybe even Anthony McFarland, you know? This is fun. This is, this is exciting stuff. Anything that comes into an offense that's a dynamic element that involves youth in the National Football League more than any other is exciting, because those players can come in and have an immediate impact. So yeah, give me the new Ben, give me the new offense, give me the new pseudo under the table offensive coordinator, whatever it is, but give me a good, solid, doesn't have to be spectacular, doesn't have to be 40 touchdown passes, uh, doesn't have to be 5,000 yards in the air. Give me a good, solid offense to go with that spectacular defense. And let's play football. Man, will that be incredible. Thank you so much for listening to this. At 11 a.m., we'll bring you the latest edition of the Pirates pod with Alex Silva and Noah Hiles.
1: Your front door. Your car. Your gym locker. Your bike. Your computer your window, your gun. Safety is a habit. Every day you lock and secure your home, car, and everything you want to keep safe. Gun safety and responsible storage are no different and the best way to help prevent accidents, misuse, and theft. If you own a firearm, it's your responsibility to store it safely when it's not in use. Choose a system that works for you. Cable locks, lock boxes, and gun safes are some of the most effective ways to protect your family and keep firearms secured. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure and find out how to get a free firearm safety kit. Visit projectchildsafe.org. That's projectchildsafe.org. If you have a firearm, own it, respect it, and secure it. Brought to you by the National Shooting Sports Foundation and the Bureau of Justice Assistance.